I think it's easy at times for us to think of slavery as something from the past, as a tragic part of our nation's history. Unfortunately, though, slavery is alive and well in this world. It exists today in more than 150 countries, and it entraps more than 20 million people. And these are human beings who are owned. They are owned by another person, and they are treated as nothing more than physical property. This morning, we want to focus particularly on Cambodia, where young girls, girls as young as age four, are bought and sold to be used as sexual objects by men. It's called human sex trafficking, and there is a battle going on to rescue these girls. It's a battle that is both physical and spiritual in nature, because whenever one person owns another person, it perverts God's plan for humanity. Slavery is a spiritual battle. And thankfully, God's people have joined that battle, and they're fighting this evil with God's light and God's God's love, and they are making a difference. And yet, when God's people take action, slave masters resist. They fight back, because while God loves people, they love profit, and human lives don't matter to them except as a means to make money. And the battle taking place in Cambodia follows a very typical pattern, a pattern of bondage, and then hopefully deliverance, but then resistance. That's how the battle evolves wherever it takes place. And it's not new. We find that same thing in the New Testament. Because slavery was rampant at the time of Jesus. It was was permeating the Roman Empire. So we have some wisdom to guide us in the Bible about how to approach the issue of slavery and how to deal with this battle. And in the book of Acts, we find one particularly vivid story where on one particular day, the apostle Paul delivers a girl from bondage. And the battle begins. Because his act precipitates a riot. Let's take a look at the book of Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, the the we in this passage is the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions. And they have come to the city of Philippi to tell people the message of Jesus. And it's there, as they are pursuing this God-given ministry, that they encounter a human being in bondage. And I read this verse, I read that word owner, and I just recoil. Because no human being ever should own another human being. Human trafficking always is wrong. It's always immoral. It's always unjust. And it's always the result of the strong taking advantage of the weak. 
In this case, it involves a young girl who is weak because she's afflicted with an evil spirit, a particularly vile evil spirit. In the original Greek text of the Bible, this demon is described as a python spirit, and that's a word with many layers of meaning. It means that this particular demon wraps people up like a boa constrictor, squeezing the life and the humanity out of them. And the python spirit was also associated with the false spirituality of Greek mythology, pointing people toward pagan gods rather than the one true God. And this poor girl is just enmeshed, and this spirit is destroying her identity and her will. She desperately needs spiritual and emotional help. And in that moment of need, some unscrupulous men do not see a human being to help. They see a profit-making potential. They see a business opportunity. And so they have purchased this girl. And they charge customers a fee in order to use her spiritual abilities as a fortune teller. And this one verse highlights for us the essence of human trafficking. It's almost always about one human being enslaving another human being for money, to line their own pockets. And yet God loves to set people free. This is not what he wants to see happen to men and women made in his image. And people can be set free when God's people act. And that's what we see the Apostle Paul do as this story unfolds. Verse 17, she, that's the slave girl, followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. This is really fascinating. When we read the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, we find that whenever he encounters a person afflicted with an evil spirit, that often those spirits know who he is. They recognize him, and they shout out his name. They identify him. And something similar takes place here. The evil spirit that is afflicting this girl identifies Paul and his companions as representatives of God. What we need to see, though, is that the residents of Philippi who are hearing this probably don't hear it the way that we do. This is a local girl. She's known as a fortune teller who points people to pagan gods. So they would not automatically hear her words as a testimonial to the one true God. They would think she's making some proclamation about the Greek gods. So Paul lets this go on for several days. He's used to being harassed, and he probably just ignores the girl at first. And he's not a local. He doesn't know anything about this girl. He doesn't know that she's a slave. He doesn't know that she's spiritually afflicted, not at first. But with the passing of time, he's able to discern what's going on, and he reaches a point where he gets annoyed. But he's not annoyed with the girl. 
In the original Greek text, that word translated annoyed is a very interesting word, and it's wrapped with a lot of meaning, and it means annoyed inf- annoyance infused with grief. And I think what happens is this. Paul has come to understand what's going on, and he's filled with grief about this young girl's situation. And he is annoyed that someone has enslaved her, that someone is using her, and he's, and he's filled with grief and annoyance that she's in bondage to a spirit and to a human being. And once he figures this out, then he acts. And he speaks boldly, trusting that God's love and God's power will deliver this girl from the evil spirit. And instantly, instantly, she's set free. And that moment for this young girl is profound. Because of the way that she's been enmeshed by this spirit, the departure of the spirit restores everything to her. She gets her mind back. She gets her soul back. She gets her life back. Because in this particular case, her spiritual freedom guarantees her physical freedom. Without her demonically inspired fortune-telling abilities, she's useless as a source of income to her masters. By choosing to act and face down evil with one simple sentence, Paul has restored her to complete and total freedom. But the battle's not over. Because unfortunately, slave masters seldom go quietly. Whenever their money-making opportunities are threatened, they resist. And they resist strongly as we see next. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now these slave owners obviously don't care at all about the girl. All they care about is their income. And they've now lost the ability to make any money through her. And since they can't get her back, they want revenge, and they want to send a strong message that you do not mess with slave masters. And they're obviously not men of integrity or men of honor, so they lie. They falsely accuse Paul and Silas of illegal activity. And they do this in the most public way possible. They cause a scene which triggers this public outcry. And then a mob is going to begin to form. And when mobs form, sanity usually goes by the wayside. And that's what we see next. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, other than that last verse, 
everything I just read is insane. It shouldn't be happening. Paul and Silas should be commended for setting a young girl free from spiritual and physical bondage. And instead, they are harassed. They are beaten. And it's because slavery had been normalized in that culture. Slavery had been normalized. So these men who set a girl free are beaten with rods, they're flogged with whips, they're thrown in jail, and they are placed in stocks. It is a travesty of justice. And yet their experience reminds us that doing the right thing often comes at a price. When we stand up and bring God's love into evil situations, evil will fight back. And God's people never can let that stop us. And we cannot hold back in fear. God has promised that His perfect love will drive out all fear. And Paul and Silas obviously believe that. That's why they act so boldly and they trust God and God does not abandon them. Yes, they are in prison, but they are not alone. How could they be singing God's praises from a prison cell? after all that has happened on that horrible day, unless they know that God is with them, that God is sustaining them, that God is giving them strength and reassuring them of His presence. And that's what God does when His people face evil and confront evil and work to set people free. We may face pushback. We may face hardship. There will be resistance, but God does not abandon the people that we are trying to set free, and He doesn't abandon us. And this pattern that we see here in the book of Acts, it's playing out all over Cambodia today. There are young girls in bondage, and they are being delivered. Some of their stories involve miraculous transformation, but there is resistance. And God's people courageously keep pressing on because they want young girls to experience firsthand the comforting and protecting love of the Heavenly Father, the assurance that only God can provide. Each year, Northwest Christian University takes a ministry team to Cambodia. And those teams do not go to do the rescuing, and that work is done by others. The NCU team goes to encourage girls who have been rescued. They go to help educate young boys and girls to be part of a process of changing the culture of Cambodia to break this pattern. And they go to encourage the ministries that are doing the frontline work of rescue and restoration. Angela Doty is a member of our church and she's on staff at NCU. And this past May, she participated in her second trip to Cambodia. And she did that with our support because we supported her through our missions committee. And Angela's going to share with us what it was like for her to lead a team of college students into a foreign culture and to do their part to help bring God's light and God's love to a very dark corner of our world. Angela, please come and share with us how God was at work in you and in your team and what you saw in Cambodia.
Before I share what God is doing in Cambodia, I wanted to express my deepest gratitude for your partnership in this journey of faith. I'm so thankful for this Gardenway family, for your um, support both financially and prayerfully. I believe without a doubt that the power of prayer sustained me and the NCU team through the ups and downs of this trip. It was a challenging experience, as is true of any short-term mission, but this trip challenged me personally as I was plunged into a leadership role. Usually Troy Dean, the campus pastor at NCU, leads the Cambodia team. But about this time last year, he approached me and asked if I would lead the team without him. After much prayer and consideration and more prayer, I said yes, trusting that God would lead me. A few months into the planning and preparation, Troy asked if he could join the team in Cambodia partway through. However, when his father fell ill the week before departure, his plans changed again, and he wasn't able to make the trip at all. So basically, we went from plan A to plan B, back to plan A. And I had about 24 hours to process this news. The team found out just hours before we flew out of Eugene. Sitting on the plane, we had plenty of time to reflect on and prepare for what was ahead. In those moments, God met me and spoke directly to my heart as I read the Jesus Calling devotion for that day, May 7th. Here's a quote from it. Do not fear what this day or any day may bring your way. Concentrate on trusting me and on doing what needs to be done. Relax in my sovereignty, remembering that I go before you as well as with you into each day. Fear no evil, for I can bring good out of every situation you will ever encounter. I wanted to share an excerpt from my journal. I'm sitting on the plane from Eugene to Seattle as I read these words. They are extremely timely, because earlier today I learned that Troy will not be able to join the team after all. It would be really easy to freak out right now, because this is my first time leading a cross-cultural mission trip, but not my first time in Cambodia. When I agreed to lead the team over nine months ago, I prayed for God to lead me. And just yesterday, as I was driving home after a long day of graduation festivities and grading, I prayed. I thanked the Lord for giving me the strength to finish all my grading on time. It was a tremendous weight on my shoulders that was standing in the way of me being able to focus on the final preparations for Cambodia. Once completed, I felt a great sense of relief and freedom. Then my mind shifted, and the reality of leaving for Cambodia washed over me. Pastor Troy had already shared with me the the potential twist that he may not make the trip, which meant I really would be leading this without him there as backup. I let the weight of that responsibility sink in. However, I wasn't scared. No. I was reminded of the commitment I made so many months ago. I said yes to where God leads me. He must still be leading me. I said yes to Jesus. I put my trust in him, and nothing is too big for him to handle. Jesus called, and I answered. I will rest in the sovereign power of Jesus to walk with me and our team through this, whatever this is. May he work all things for his good. Little did I know how many times these words would ring true. Throughout this trip, God showed up in mighty ways, revealing his sovereignty, his trustworthiness, his power, and his love.
God knew exactly what this trip would hold and what we would need. He had already assembled a team of amazing young people who were mature in faith and extremely flexible. They served hard and they played hard. This team genuinely enjoyed spending time together and no one ever felt left out. It probably helped with that we had no major conflicts and no drama. They served hard and they played, or sorry, each person brought their strengths to the team. Leading music, preaching the word, facilitating games, coaching soccer, teaching English, showing compassion, and so much more. No one hung back. They all stepped up and stepped out, functioning as the body of Christ and serving as the hands and feet of Jesus. I cannot boast enough about this group of people and their dedication to fulfilling the mission. So proud of my students and humbled to have been their leader. It wasn't easy. Being in a third world country, not knowing the language, eating weird food. Silkworms, no. Crickets, yeah. <clears throat> Adjusting to the heat and humidity and navigating cultural differences. Even navigating from place to place was a little more challenging. For example, our group arranged to travel from Badenbong to Siem Reap by boat. The boat ride would allow us to see how Cambodians live, especially along the river. It would take about six hours. Never mind that the bus only takes about half the time. We opted for the more cultural experience, and as it turns out, we got more than we bargained for. Early that morning, like early that morning, we loaded up the safari truck with our 21 pieces of luggage, 13 people, 21 pieces of luggage. You do the math. And we all climbed in around it, which was very Cambodian. We arrived at the dock only to learn that our boat was being held upriver. For whatever reason, the details were lost in translation. So we embarked on a wild goose chase to go find our boat. With our new friends, our translator, and an expert driver, in 90 minutes, we located the boat along the bank of the river. The only thing is, to get to it, the safari truck had to fit through a narrow spot on the dirt road. To the left, there's a plastic pipe sticking out of the ground, and the dirt around it is eroded down, away down the embankment to the river. On the right is a wrought iron fence, so close that I can reach through and grab the bars. One wrong move, and, well, you get the idea. My life and the lives of my students didn't quite flash before my eyes, but I found myself fervently praying that the truck would not tip over and roll down into the river. Thankfully, our driver carefully maneuvered that truck through the tight space to safe, solid ground. The sun was hot and the heat intense that morning, but no one complained. Instead, they all pitched in to load up the boat. Our guys created a luggage brigade and passed all 21 pieces down the embankment, and then they carefully assisted each girl down safely. I wish locating the boat was the only twist in the plot that day, but there were more opportunities for God to show up. As it turns out, our boat broke down. Not once, not twice, but three times. By the third time, they pulled the boat over to the shore, and using my old-school flip phone that had been issued to me, I called our translator back in Badenbong, and through him I learned that there was a boat on the way, 
but it would be another three hours. Immediately, I started praying for a faster option. In the meantime, my team played games and made the most of the adventure. Within about 20 or 30 to minutes, our boat taxied back out into the flow of the river, and a smaller boat came and towed us along. Not too long after that, two more boats showed up. Next thing I knew, all of our luggage and my students are being transferred onto these two smaller boats. No, we were not being overtaken by pirates. We were being rescued. Yes. God had answered my prayer, and I faithfully stepped into that smaller boat, trusting that God would get us safely to our destination. Within a few more hours, we finally arrived in Siem Reap, all too happy to be on dry land and eager for food, air conditioning, showers, and a good night's sleep. It had been a long day, almost 10 and a half hours. Needless to say, our team made a memory that day. It was truly a bonding experience as we literally went with the flow. Probably the most challenging aspect of this trip is the subject matter. The majority of the organizations that we've served alongside are involved in the fight against human sex trafficking, particularly the trafficking of children. Prevention, rescue, restoration, and reintegration are the primary goals of these organizations. I believe it's important to understand a little historical background to provide some context for the issue of sex trafficking in Cambodia. <clears throat> in the late 70s, within my lifetime, the country experienced a dark and horrific genocide that demolished the moral, educational, and economic infrastructure of the country. Over two to three million people died under the Khmer Rouge regime, an estimated half due to executions, the other to starvation and disease. This period in Cambodia's history contributed to the abject poverty, government corruption, and devaluation of human life present today. So in a desperate attempt to provide for her family, a mother might sell her daughter to a brothel owner, knowingly or under false pretenses. Parents may call upon their children to contribute to the family finances, and daughters seeking to do so may be deceived and coerced into sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is the third largest illegal enterprise, drugs and weapons ranking one and two. So you can see why education would be critical in the efforts of prevention. Here in the US, children go to school, but in Cambodia, education is not accessible to all children, putting them at risk. So many of the ministries we worked with provide outreach to children as a form of prevention. It's vital for kids to know and understand the love of Jesus, and our team had two distinct opportunities to engage in outreach programs. First, during our week in Badambang with Hope Bible Institute, we visited three village churches. <clears throat> Several of the churches were located in pretty remote areas, so we traveled in the safari truck along dusty dirt roads. Upon arrival, we would unload our soccer gear and craft materials. Think of it kind of like a pop-up VBS. Have VBS, we will travel. We'd sing songs complete with motions, share a gospel message, play soccer, teach games, and make crafts. Several students from Hope Bible traveled with us, so we were able to build relationships with them as well, another form of ministry. 
Toward the end of each church visit, the students would unload notebooks and pens and bread for the church leaders to distribute to the kids. And before leaving, our team would gather around the church leader and pray for him or her. Many of the leaders requested prayer for strength, health, wisdom, as well as for the church to reach more people with the word of God. Their sacrificial service was truly humbling, and we thoroughly enjoyed playing with the kids and seeing the joy on their faces. Second, our team spent the last week in Phnom Penh, specifically in Swaipak, a community outside the city where Agape International Mission, AIM, has a number of ministries. We worked directly with the church Rahab's house. In the mornings, we facilitated workshops and taught an English class for the disciples or youth leaders. In the afternoons, we hosted Kids Club, a high-energy, high-intensity version of VBS with songs, a message, crafts, and organized games. We had the pleasure of developing relationships with the disciples and leaders, most of whom are volunteers and lead Kids Club year-round. Our purpose in being there was to encourage the leadership and provide some respite for them. Unfortunately, I don't have any pictures from this time because photography was prohibited. So let me paint a picture for you. Kids Club is kind of like Kid Max on steroids. Every weekday from 2 to 3.30 in a large room on the third floor of the church building, there's about a half dozen fans that are mounted along the side of the room to help circulate the air, but the building is not air conditioned. It's about 95 to 100 degrees, you know what that feels like in the last two weeks, plus over 90% humidity. <clears throat> Within 15 to 20 minutes, the room fills with children, anywhere from 60 to 100. Most of them are holding, sugar, holding sugary drinks that they purchased from a street vendor on the way in. They are literally bouncing off the walls. And so excited to meet their new American friends. Each member of my team has at least two to three kids climbing or hanging on them or chasing them around the room. One afternoon, I looked over to see one of my students with a kid in this hand and a kid in this hand as he power lifted them off the ground. The kids were giggling and squealing with delight. We had quickly discovered that laughter is a universal language and transcends culture. And this room is filled with joy and laughter. Of course, my team is dripping in sweat within seconds. <laughs> And we coined a new phrase, if you're not sweating, you're not serving. Needless to say, we were serving all the time. <laughs> Our first day with Rayab's house, we asked for prayer requests during a workshop. A leader asked us to pray for parents to let their children come to Kids Club. It didn't make sense until I talked with another leader who shared with me that a little girl about four years old had been abducted in Swipok only weeks earlier. Thankfully, this story has a happy ending. Because AIM deployed their government-authorized SWAT team to investigate, they rescued this little girl unharmed and arrested her abductor. It also led to the rescue of another seven-year-old little girl. Praise the Lord. That afternoon, another leader pointed out to me that that four-year-old little girl was back in Kids Club she stuck really close to her brothers, not really interacting with the other kids. No smile, no laughter. There was almost a vacant look in her eyes as she stared straight ahead. 
However, within two days, the same little girl warmed up to one of my students during the craft time. She was smiling and the light had started to return to her eyes. This story, while difficult, exemplifies the power of God's love to change a life. Kids Club provides a safe place for kids to just be kids, to laugh and to smile and to learn about Jesus from people who truly love them. There's another story that I wanted to share with you that captures the heart of the work being done in Cambodia. While working with AIM, our team had the privilege of meeting with Don and Bridget Brewster, CEOs of AIM. During my visit three years ago, I'd had a similar opportunity, and it was then that I heard Toha's story for the first time. Dawn had relayed the details of Toha being trafficked for 22 days, during which she'd been raped 198 times. He also shared the circumstances of her rescue, the bravery and courage that she displayed in boldly informing her trafficker that AIM was coming to get her and he'd better let her go. And he did. He told her to just go. It was both heartbreaking and heroic. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. At that time, Don and Bridget just both displayed fresh tattoos with 22 days permanently inked on their forearms. This year, Don's tattoo included the words, Love Never Fails. And he explained to us that it is a reminder of why they do what they do in the fight against human sex trafficking. After all, it is God's love that changes people. Since her rescue, Toha's story has been featured on CNN. She's gone through Ames Restoration Program. She's testified against her trafficker in court and now works in one of Ames employment centers. Toha's story is a story of courage and hope, and it reminds us of God's love and his power to save. While in Phnom Penh, we saw out a shop that's sponsored by AIM. It carries products made by women rescued from sex trafficking. The tags are signed by the women who made that particular item. I purchased a few things, okay, more than a few things, but none of them hold as much value as this bracelet. Toha made it. Her name is right there on the tag. And I wear it every day as a reminder to pray for Cambodia, the work that God is doing there, and the courage to boldly follow God's lead in my own life. And right now, more than ever, Cambodia needs our prayer. About 10 days ago, the prime minister began threatening to kick AIM out of the country. Resistance. But our God is greater, and he's stronger, so there. Upon return, I found myself drawn to and inspired by the passages about God's love. God's love transforms us, it gives us life, it heals us, and it makes us complete. His love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God's love never fails. And his love is at work in those who know him. And time and time again, I experienced God's love, especially his protection, throughout this trip. In moments of uncertainty, like the boat ride, it would have been easy to give in to fear, but instead we chose to trust and he protected us. When confronted with the effects of sin in this world and the trauma inflicted by sex trafficking, it's difficult to have hope, let alone persevere in the fight. But we aren't capable of doing it on our own anyway. 
It's God's power at work within us, his love flowing through us, that equips us in the fight against human sex trafficking, loving our neighbor, volunteering with kids clubs, serving the community, you fill in the blank. I don't know about you, but the assurance of God's love is both liberating and empowering. May his love continue to change us and transform us to be more like him, that we may love one another and live out the gospel wherever God leads us. Thank you. As I conclude, I wanted to share a video with you that one of my students made um, regarding our trip, and I hope that it also will encourage and inspire you the way it did me. It feel like you've been waiting for the right time. This is your moment, moment, moment. It's time to change the world. We are the brightest. We want to come to the darkness. Lord knows we need light right now. Unity's calling, crying out from the mountain, telling us to come home right now. You my brother.
Paula, thanks so much to you and your team for going and bringing God's light to that part of the world and showing young boys and young girls that there can be hope in this world, that there is a better way to live. And the fact is, God does want to work through His church to change the world. We can make this world a better place. He wants this world to be a place where young girls like Toha don't need to live in fear of being abducted and raped 198 times in 22 days. That kind of thing is appalling. And it is heartbreaking to realize that such evil can exist in this world. But God's people can and are making a difference. We are the representatives of Jesus. We're his hands and feet. And I think we all need to ask the question, what part does God want us to play? How does he want us to make a difference and bring his love to people who desperately need to be set free? And I want to suggest three specific action items. First, we need to pray for the young girls who are trapped in sexual slavery in Cambodia, that they would be set free. And we need to pray for those ministries like like Agape International Mission that are doing God's work to offer these girls a new life. And particularly since there is so much resistance, we need to pray that AIM will be able to stay and that they will not be removed from that country. They are doing such vital work. And second, we need to recognize that sexual slavery exists in this country. Many of the women and even some of the men who are involved in the pornography industry are there against their will. And anytime we choose to become involved with pornography, we are supporting a vile industry that enslaves people. And third, We need to not turn a blind eye to human suffering wherever we find it, in whatever forms we find it. And most of us will never get to Cambodia. But we can find a way to make a difference right here in Lane County. God wants us to see the needs that exist around us, and He wants us to respond to those needs. And He wants us as representatives of Jesus to always stand against evil and injustice. We have the privilege of bringing God's love and God's light into dark places. And when we do, we can change the world. We just need to be willing to act.